this morning, um, I'm going to be sharing a message. And as I was preparing for the message this week, um, I was doing my normal reading that I always do, which is uh, I would read the scripture that we're going to be sharing on, and I would read some commentaries, and I would read a couple of articles or blogs on that scripture and just kind of do a little bit of insight. But also, some of you may be aware that there was a fairly big boxing match that happened this morning, right? Anybody know that there was a, a big boxing match? It's, most people have, been, have called it the fight of the century. In fact, I think I do have a, a picture there of, uh, of the two boxers uh, that, that, that squared off this morning. Unfortunately, uh, or, or fortunately, perhaps you're a fan, uh, Mayweather won the fight. Um, but this whole week, as I was doing my, my scripture reading and uh, the normal reading that I do, it was kind of intermixed with, with sports reports and boxing analyses that I was reading on this fight. So as I was preparing this message, uh, I had in my mind the scripture and also the boxing match. And so that's kind of where uh, I'm going this morning. It's kind of with all of this boxing knowledge and reading that I was doing that I went into Acts chapter number three. And so if you have your Bibles here this morning, um, can you turn with me to Acts chapter number three and verse one? Uh, we're doing a series called The Acts, which is a look at what the early church did when they got started, when the church got started, what happened, what did they rely on, what were the major themes that kept reoccurring. And we're hoping that God can prompt us as we read these scriptures uh, to what He has called us to as a church and how He wants to use us in the city. So we're doing this series on The Acts, and, um, and today we're in Acts chapter number 3 and verse 1. And uh, let's read it together. It says, Now Peter and John were going to the temp up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took, he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Verse 16 then goes on and says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning and, uh, and then I will be sharing a message entitled, The Champ is Here. 
Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you this morning uh, for your presence. We thank you this morning for your purpose and your plans. We thank you uh, for your power uh, in each one of our hearts, each one of our lives, each one of our situations. And we thank you that it is your power that flows through us. We pray that you speak to us this morning, God, that you raise us up, God, to, to be the people you've called us to be, God, and that you uh, would just encourage our faith this morning, that we would look intently at you, God, and receive that which you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So uh, as I was watching these different shows on the boxing this week, as I mentioned, and reading the different blogs, one specific uh, show that I watched was an interview that they did with Floyd Mayweather, where they actually, as they interviewed him, they did a tour of his house in LA. And you have to specify because he obviously he has more than one. He has quite a few. And so they, they went into his house in LA. And, uh, and obviously he's got, you know, he's got all the nice cars and he's got all the incredible luxuries that you would expect of a man uh, who has has made a career earnings of about $400 million. Um, in fact, they said that during the fight this morning, the guys were making $138,000 a second. And so I th if I was the guy, I would like, I don't care who wins, let's just go 12 rounds. Let's just make sure we make it to the end and we all go home happy. Come on, there, is, there are no losers <laughs> when you go home with 138,000 rand a second. Um, and so just incredible the amount of money these guys make. And, and so I was watching the show where they're walking through Floyd Mayweather's home, but one thing caught my attention. And it was the carpet in front of Floyd Mayweather's house in LA has a picture of Muhammad Ali with his, fa his, his famous words, the words, the champ is here. The champ is here. And that, as you know, is the famous words of Muhammad Ali coming in uh, to one of his press meetings. They had somebody banging a drum and, and Muhammad Ali coming out, the champ is here, the champ is here, the champ is here. And, and, uh, and that's the title of the message that I want to share with you this morning. Because uh, as I was reading Acts 3, I, I kind of saw something incredible in this. There's this miracle that takes place in Acts chapter number 3. A man who is lame, who cannot walk, who relies on other people to come and lay him down at this gate to the temple. He cannot enter the temple. He cannot go in and, and worship with the others. He has to lie down outside, groveling on the floor, just asking for alms, asking for money, basically begging. And he is, is lying there, this lame man. Peter and John are on their way to pray. They had a habit of praying. They had a specific time when they prayed together with the rest of the believers. And they're on their way to pray. And they pray for this man. And as we saw in the scripture, he is healed. He is raised up. And his legs and his ankles are strengthened. And he begins to walk and he begins to jump and he begins to leap. And he's, he's praising God. He's just overwhelmed with this sense of gratefulness for the fact that he has received strength in his legs again. And, and, and this is an incredible miracle that takes place. And this is not unlike the miracles of Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, when Jesus walked the earth during the time of his ministry, those three years that he ministered starting from age 30, we see that as Jesus went, everywhere he went, they brought sick people to him and Jesus prayed for them and they were healed. And every kind of situation, Jesus healed people in various contexts and of various ailments and, 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 and he didn't only heal, but he raised the dead and he comforted the hurting. And he spoke encouragement into people's lives. He gave hope wherever he went. And why that's so significant is because the Bible tells us that, that Jesus was the exact representation of God. 
up until this point, people knew that there was a God. They knew that there was a creator, and they knew that this creator was a holy God who required a lot of them. They had the law, and they knew that in order to be right with this God, there was a lot of stuff that they needed to do, a lot of things they needed to observe, and sacrifices they needed to make, and feasts they needed to attend. There was a list of stuff, and that was their limited context of God. They knew that God required something of them, but they didn't know much about his heart beyond that. As Christians, sometimes that's still how we perceive God. We still think of God as a taskmaster, as somebody who is just simply giving us a list of things that we better do. An authoritarian who, who's controlling and ruling our lives, and it is so damaging to have that aspect of God known without knowing his heart. And so what Jesus did is that he took the God who, who, who speaks from the mountain, who, who thunders in the skies, he took that God who people knew about but didn't really know, and he put skin and bone on and came and lived amongst us, and he was, he was humble and he was meek. He was loving and compassionate and kind and generous. And so Jesus even says, I don't do anything without hearing from my Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say the things that I have heard the Father tell me to say. In other words, every single action of Jesus that we find in the Gospels and in Scripture and during Jesus' earthly life represents the heart of God to us. Jesus came to show us what God is like. This is, this is God. This is his heart. This is how he feels about you. And so every time Jesus healed somebody, he says, God is compassionate and he wants to restore you. Every time Jesus raised somebody from the dead, he was saying, God is a God who wants to give you new life. Every time he comforted somebody, he was saying, God is a God who is present in the midst of our suffering and our pain. Every time he spoke hope, we said God is a God of redemption and, and of hope and, and of restoration for our lives. That's who he is, and he is so committed to it that he would send his own son to die for us on the cross. He gives hope to sinners like us. He gives hope to the broken. Jesus said this a couple of times, but he says, I'm not here to condemn the world. In John 3, verse 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Christians sometimes do a good job of that. But that's not even what Jesus did. We're not here to condemn the world. We're not here to just speak out. And we must speak out on certain things. And we stand for righteousness. We stand for truth. But we're not here to condemn people and to judge people and to put people away. He says, the scripture says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When Jesus was walking on his way to Jerusalem and, and the Samaritans wouldn't give them a, a place to stay, the, the disciples said, can we just call down fire from the sky and just burn them all? And Jesus rebuked them. He says, you don't know what spirit you are of. I'm here to save men's lives, not to destroy them. And that's God's heart for each of us, for our community, for our city. He's not here to destroy men's lives and women's lives. He's, he's here to, to save, to restore, to redeem. 
It's the heart of God for a broken humanity. I heard somebody once say that grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. That's God's grace. When, when he meets our imperfection, his love, that, that, that meeting between love and imperfection is grace. And he has a lot of it for us. He wants to redeem and to restore. And, and we really needed redemption. We really need restoration because when it comes to sin, we were defeated. To use the, 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 the boxing terminology, we were down for the count. Sin knocked us to the ground. It, it broke our nose and it left us bleeding on the canvas. That's what sin did to every single one of us. And it doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how much training we've done. It doesn't matter how many times we've punched the bag in the gym. We cannot get up from that blow. When you get hit on the chin as a boxer and, you, and, and it's just lights out, you wake up the next thing and you're on the canvas. It doesn't matter how many hours of training you've put in. There are times when you just cannot get up. And when it comes to us as people, we have all been dealt the blow of sin and we were born into it. There is nothing that we can do to help ourselves get up from that blow. And that means that we're very much like this lame man lying outside the gate called beautiful. No matter how beautiful the gate is that leads us into the temple, we are lame and cannot enter it. We can look at everything that God has done. We can look at His beauty. We can, we can even hear the praises of the angels and the believers, and we can, we, can, we can be filled with awe, but we still cannot move ourselves from a place of, of being outside of His will, outside of His grace, into it of our own accord, because we're paralyzed. We've been, we've been knocked down by sin, and it leaves us groveling on the floor, asking for handouts. And that's why I'm not a big fan of self-help. I'm not a big fan of saying, you know what, if you want to live a better life, all you need to do is you just need to do this and you just need to fix that and you just need... And there are, there's some great advice out there and I'm all for advice and I'm all for wisdom. But we need one thing more than we need anything else. We need new life. We need to be raised up from our broken state. Otherwise, all we're doing is we are lame people who are lying outside of the temple asking for handouts. Can you give me a bit of advice, please? Can you, can you give me a bit of wisdom to live by? Can I just try and make my broken state a little bit better for a while? And God is not a God who helps us out a little bit for a while. He's a God of total redemption and restoration. That's what He wants to do. And so when we could not get to God, when we were like this lame man who couldn't enter the temple, God came to us. Just like he sent Peter and John to this lame man that day. God didn't wait for us to try and get to him. He sent his son to come to us. He sent his son to fight for us when we were lying on the canvas, when we were knocked out. And that's the true meaning of a champion. The ancient battles where the, the term champion was, was coined, where the, the meaning of uh, a champion in the, in the historical context is when two armies were squaring off against each other and instead of hundreds and, and, and thousands of people dying as two armies clash, they would often just select one fighter, their best fighter in every army, and those two people would fight. 
And it would be a fight to the death. And whoever lost that fight, it meant that the whole team, the whole army behind them lost. And whoever won the fight, it meant that that whole army won the fight. And so they would select a champion. This is what happened with David and Goliath. You had the Israelites on, one si- on the one side and you had the Philistines on the other side. And they each selected a champion to square off. And obviously the Philistines had, had Goliath. They were like, you're our man. You're the biggest guy around. You can beat anybody up. And I'm sure that they were going around terrorizing people with this one champion. But then comes this 12-year-old shepherd boy who was just bringing some bread for his brothers. And he's like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Does he not know that God is on our side? And this little shepherd boy picks up five smooth stones. Five is the number of grace. And you know the story. He, he, puts just, he just needs one. He picked up five, but he only needed one. And he swings this, this slingshot and lets go of the stone and it, and it squares Goliath between the eyes. And he falls down on the ground and to add a little bit of effect, David goes and takes his sword and chops his head off. But David represents Jesus. David is, uh, is a type of Jesus. Uh, he's symbolic of what Jesus would do. And when there was a, a champion that stood against us, called sin, called death. It's somebody that we could never defeat on our own. Whole armies of us could not defeat this champion. But then Jesus, in his humility and his meekness, he stepped up like David stepped up that day. And he hit on the cross, he hit sin between the eyes with the stones of grace. And as sin and death came toppling over, Jesus went and and, and picked up the sword and chop the head of sin right off. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our victory. He ended sin on our behalf, cut its head off. And that's how this whole thing worked. Jesus stepped up and won the game for us. When, when we were too afraid to face it, when we were still battling, when we were still wondering what we were going to do, if we were ever going to get up from this knockout, Jesus stepped up and won the game for us. I'm sure you all remember the uh, opening of the, of the Soccer World Cup here at, in South Africa back in 2010. Just an incredible time. Our city felt like a party town for a couple of weeks. It was an incredible atmosphere. Everybody was driving around with those funny little flags on their, on their rearview mirrors, and, and people were hooting. People were blowing vuvuzelas just at inappropriate times, at inappropriate places. Um, just a lot of fun happening, and uh, I had one friend, we were driving through the streets, and he was randomly blowing a vuvuzela, and afterwards he was like, touched his lips, and his lips were literally bleeding from vuvuzela blowing. If you, if you ever thought that was possible, if you, it is, it actually is. You actually can open your lips up by blowing on a vuvuzela. And, uh, and it was just this, this fun that we had. And, and I remember the buildup to the opening game because South Africa was playing in the opening game again against Mexico. And we know that Mexico had some good players, uh, but we thought that this could be possible. A lot of us were, were doubters, but the more the, 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 the just the, the excitement and the anticipation was building towards this event, we started believing that perhaps, just maybe, just maybe our soccer team can rise to this occasion. And I remember seeing on on TV that stadium just packed out with 70 or 80,000 people, just the the atmosphere, people of all colors, all nations, all races, just, just together enjoying this moment. And 
the kickoff happened and, and, and Mexico, I mean, I have never seen a team come out of the blocks like that. I mean, in all the soccer that I've, that I've ever watched, I've never seen a, a team start that quickly. They were passing the ball so quickly. It was moving all of the time. It was so fluent the way that they were moving the ball around the park that I was like, okay, it was nice. It was, it was a good time. We had a lot of fun, but now it's welcome to the real world, right? You can see that Mexico, they're, they're up to just crush South African hearts. That's what they want to do. And somehow South Africa just hung in there. They hung in there. They hung in there. They didn't give any goals away. We got close a couple times. Um, and it was still nil-nil for most of the game. And then this one moment came. And regardless of what happened for the rest of the World Cup, this is always the moment I will remember. And that's when Sapiwi Chabalala broke through and uh, made this great run down the field. And he got to the edge of the 16-yard box and he just hammered the ball. I mean, he just, I've, I've never seen such a small guy hit the ball so hard. And that ball absolutely rocketed into the back of the net. And that was like, in a moment, our country was plunged into absolute pandemonium. I mean, we went nuts in this country. People were shouting. I could hear people from the houses next door. Everybody was going crazy. People were running out of their houses and making little loops back in and, and, and just screaming. The crowd was on their feet. People were cheering. And I'm not going to lie to you, I even cried a little bit. I mean, that happened. <laughs> That happened. I actually cried a little bit. And for like months later, the World Cup's over. The whole thing's moved on. They show the highlights reel of that goal. And I still like, uh, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it just, it was such an incredible moment. The thing is though, the thing is that none of us scored that goal. None of us had the ball at our feet in that moment. But Sapiwe Chabalala in that moment, he represented every single one of us as a country. He didn't score that goal for himself. He scored it for the, the, the 50 million people that live in this country. And when the ball went into the back of the net, we all felt the effects. We felt the joy. We felt the excitement. We, we felt as if we, 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 would have been, uh, we would have been no less excited about the goal if we had scored it ourselves because it applied to us individually. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Only one man scored the goal. Only one man landed the punch. But we were all on that team. And it applied to us. In Romans 5 verse 18 to 19, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act, just one act of righteousness le leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man, Jesus, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. One guy who scored the goal, one champion who landed the blow. The champ is here. Jesus showed up. He died on the cross. The champ is here. He, he got victory over sin and over death. He was raised from the dead. The champ is here. They put a little plaque up in the tomb if you go in there, obviously with the scripture that says, he is not here, he is risen. And that's obviously what one of the angels said as the disciples came to the tomb. They said, he's not here, he's risen. But if it was me, if I was that angel, I would have just said, the champ is here. He's up, he's around, he's alive. 
the champ is here. He's brought the victory to us. We haven't earned this victory. We were just paralyzed people lying on the canvas. He is the one who, who by one act of obedience made all of us righteous. And so now, Scripture says that Jesus leads us in victory, in His victory. He leads us. That His victory applies to our lives and it becomes our victory. His victory over sin became our victory over sin. His victory over death became our victory over death. And He leads us in this procession. The Bible speaks about this procession in, in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always, everybody say always, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That's a victory march. That's a champion's parade. And always God leads us in that victory. And through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We bring the victory of God wherever we go because we are constantly being led in this triumphal procession. Again, this is a throwback to ancient times when armies would, would fight one another, if one nation defeated another nation, they would take the king of that nation and, and, and bring him and put him on display and walk him through the streets with the rest of the army and all the people of the hometown, of the, of the town that belongs to those who are victors would be cheering and celebrating and, and, and doing what they do. It's kind of like these days when, when a sports team wins a major championship and they get a double-decker bus and they open up the top and, uh, and they drive through the streets and people just lie in the streets just shouting and cheering. Uh, I saw a picture the other day of, of Liverpool's double-decker bus and it's all rusted and broken down and they're, like, it's, they're putting it back into storage for another year. Um, <laughs> But it's kind of like that, just, just people coming, coming home and saying, we, we've done it. And the cheers and, and, and the celebrations and, and the king of the defeated nation is put to a public shame. And the Bible tells us in Colossians that that's what Jesus did. The enemy that was knocking us to the ground, sin and death, Satan and his demons were put to a public shame. They were made a public spectacle of when Jesus was raised from the dead. And now he leads us in that procession. He leads us in that victory. So his victory has become our victory. That's the hope that we have, and that's the hope that we bring wherever we go. The good news is, is that God applies this victory to every area of our lives. Every area of our lives. When we believe in Jesus, when we believe in the finished work of the cross, God doesn't want to just forgive you of your sins. He's not just saving you from some things. He's actually saving you to many things. He's taking you out of one thing, but he's bringing you into many things. He wants to bring a total restoration to our lives. And that's a process we sometimes go through, but, but God is bringing victory to every area of your life. And as I'm speaking this morning, some of you may be thinking of the areas that you're still struggling in. We all have those areas. You're thinking of areas that perhaps recently you've prayed and said, God, I need help in this area. I struggle here. The good news is the champ is here. The champ is here. 
And he is bringing victory. God is working his, his process in our lives. He is changing us and, and delivering us and, and, and causing us to become more like Jesus. He leaves no part of our lives unredeemed. No part of our lives remains unaffected by his grace and his goodness. The only thing that God never redeems is our sinful nature. And that's so important for us to know. God doesn't redeem our sinful nature. What I mean by that is that he doesn't take your sinfulness and go, let's try and improve him so he's a little bit less sinful. Let's try and take the sinfulness and make it nicer. Somebody once said that that's like taking uh, perfume and trying to spray it on a coffin to, to, to try and make the coffin seem a little bit better. God doesn't want to redeem our sinful lives. He has nailed through Jesus our sinful lives to the cross. He ends our sinful lives and he gives us new life. So what we get when we get Jesus is not an improved life. It's not a better life. It's a new life. It's the life of Jesus. And with that new life, we still have old ways of thinking and old ways of doing and, and, and old habits. And, and God begins to apply that new life uh, as, through the process of sanctification to every area of our lives. So he gives us this victory. And wherever we go, we bring the victory. We bring the victory of Christ into every situation we go into. When Jesus sent out those 72 disciples early on, he said, you go into people's homes and you say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. When we go into different situations in life, we literally bring the champ onto the scene. Just like Peter and John did in this, in this instant, there's, there's a guy lying on the ground, he is broken, he is paralyzed, he cannot help him, himself, and, and Peter and John bring Jesus into that situation. They have the victory of Jesus, and now they bring that victory into this broken man's life. And through what they do, they're declaring the champ is here. That's how we bring light into the world. We do not bring our own light we do not bring our own understanding. We do not bring our own wisdom or advice into people's lives. We bring Jesus into those situations. And I've seen Jesus do this a couple of times. In fact, many times in my life. I remember one specific time when uh, we were having a prayer meeting and one girl who was in our youth ministry at that time came forward and she said, my brother... Um, has been, he started losing his hearing at about the age of 12. And he's now 25 years old and he's gone completely deaf. Uh, he uses very strong hearing aids just to be able to, to hear basic sounds and be able to, to just uh, be alert to sounds around him. But I would like us just to pray. And he lived in Cape Town at that time. We were here in Joburg and we said, yeah, sure, let's, let's just pray together that God would do something in your brother's life. And I remember us just praying a simple prayer together, and, uh, and the next morning she phoned me frantically. She says, you won't believe it. But when my brother took his hearing aid off at night, like he normally does when he goes to sleep, for some reason he could hear his mother talking after he took his hearing aid off. He wasn't even close to us, but just a simple prayer, we declared that the champ is here. 
I remember times when uh, my wife, and this has happened on two separate occasions, where there were young girls who had fallen pregnant um, and were, weren't married and were worried about what people would say, and, um, and, and she counseled them and met with them. And they were seriously consider, considering uh, having abortions. And just through that love and that care and that time, those two girls are both now married and raising those children, and they are beautiful children. Because we bring light into those situations and we declare nothing is beyond God's redemption. Nothing is beyond God's restoration because the champ is here. We're able to bring the life of God and the hope of God and the restoration of God into those moments. Every single time that, that Chris goes and speaks at a school and he's busy working uh, in, in, in some of the schools in our area and working with young people and, and uh, every single time he walks in, he declares the champ is here. When you go to work and uh, you see some people that you can encourage, you, you're basically declaring wherever you go, the champ is here. When you speak into people's lives, the champ is here. Jesus is here. His victory is here. I have felt it and I can bring it into your life through the Spirit of God. So Peter and John are, are on their way to pray and they find this lame man on the ground. And they say to this lame man, look at us. Look at us. And he, he looks at them, obviously expecting to receive some money from them. And, and Peter then says this. He says, I have no silver and gold. What Peter was saying when he said that is like, you're looking at me, but there is nothing that I can personally do for you. I don't have money to help you out with. I don't have anything in me that can help you in this situation. But I do have something. I have been given the faith in Jesus. I am able to bring the champion onto the scene, the victory of Christ into this situation. So why don't you just rise up and walk? And this man gets up. And the champion shows himself true and strong again. And this man is completely healed and so this obviously causes a massive commotion and people come running from everywhere just to Solomon's porch as we read there. And they, they all come and, and, and gather around Peter and John and this man who they had seen lying there uh, for many years. And, and they gather around and, and, and then Peter says this, and, it, and it's so good. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Why do you stare at us as though, listen to this carefully, as though by our own power or our own piety, which is another word for holiness, this may, may, man is made well. Peter just completely discredits the notion that you have to uh, have built up enough spiritual power in order for God to use you. He completely destroys the notion that you have to live a certain level of holiness in regards to your daily living before God can begin to use you. He goes, this man is healed not because of our power, not because of our holiness. He, and he begins to explain to them why this man is healed. And he says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who healed this man. Verse 16, he says, and his name... By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So it's the faith 
in Jesus that gives us the victory and allows us to bring the victory. Now that faith isn't just a conjuring up of some spiritual thoughts. <laughs> because faith can sometimes be a little bit of an ab abstract concept. This means that you have fully put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross. In other words, you believe that Jesus is the champ and that he is with you. How differently would we live and would we minister and would we reach out to our city if we really knew that the champ was here? If we really believed with all of our hearts that God was present in our lives and all-powerful and able to do all things that He has sent us to do. We put our faith not in what we can do or even our own holiness, but we put our faith in the finished work of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, He said, it is finished. He's already won the battle. So we do not fight for victory. It's so important that we know this as we live our daily lives. We don't fight for victory. The moment you fight for victory, you're operating in a lack of faith. We fight from victory because it is already ours in Christ. He always leads us in a triumphal procession. We fight from victory. We are victorious because of Christ. And it's faith in His name, Peter says. His name, the name of Jesus represents his reality, that Jesus is, is real. It's the same as uh, if you saw somebody standing out in the road, especially here in Joburg, and they put up the, their hand to stop you in the middle of the street. More often than not, we'll just try and run them over. But if that same person was dressed in the outfit of the JMPD and had a badge on and raised their hand, you would stop. You're not stopping for the person. Some of you may have tried to run over the JMPD. I would not suggest it. <laughs> We'd like you to come back next Sunday and not be in prison. But you would stop not because of who that person is, not because of their intellect, not because of their knowledge, not because of, of their holy living, not because of their personal ability. You stop because of who they represent. They represent something far greater, which is the government of this nation. And when we go into situations, those, those enemies that we face do not look at us or our ability or our holiness or our knowledge or how much we've read our Bible or how much we know on our own. It simply looks at this. This person represents Christ. He represents the champ. And so we submit. That's how we bring the victory of God into these situations. We represent the champ. Some of you may be worried this morning, as I was many times, that you don't have enough faith. Oh, I love, oh, that sounds so good. It sounds so good. So I'm so pumped. But when you get back into your, into your everyday life, you're like, mm, I wish I had a little bit more of that just confidence that, that God is really with me and that I could really do the things he's called me to do. That's why... I want us to look at just verse 16 just one more time because there's something in there that we can so easily miss. It says this. It says, And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health. There's two kinds of faith, or not two kinds of faith, but it's speaking about faith in two ways here. 
The first thing it says is it says there's faith that we have in the name of Jesus. That's a faith that we have, a trust that we have. But it says that in order to get this faith, how do we get this faith? It comes through Jesus. The faith that is through Jesus. In other words, you don't have to worry even about trying hard to conjure up somehow that level of faith. Jesus is going to give you the faith that you need to apply the victory in your life and in the lives of others. That faith comes through Jesus. That's the miracle of God's grace. He gives us the faith that we need to do the things that he's called us to do. He gives us the victory, and then he gives us the ability to believe in the victory and unlocks his power in our lives and his presence in our lives. And that faith Jesus gives us so that we can make a difference, just like he gave it to Peter, just like he gave it to John. They had faith because they knew that God loved this man. They knew the heart of Jesus and they knew that Jesus wanted to do something. And so God gave them the faith to make a difference. And I believe that God is going to give us the faith to bring people to Jesus. Or to put it this way, to bring Jesus to people to take Jesus, to take the champ into every situation, not because of our ability, but by simply declaring the champ is here. Jesus is here. He is victorious. And he wants to change your life. He wants to restore and redeem and recover. Because that's the heart of God towards each one of us.